0: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's a perfect start for Red Bull with Max and Checo and a 1-2. Alright, pedants, they didn't get the fastest lap, but it was otherwise a very good start to the season. But a nightmare for Ferrari. Oh, a Leclerc engine failure denying him what was probably going to be a podium today. And a dream start for Alonso who capitalized on that Ferrari failure over to Hamilton and Sainz on track. He did his work on track, but he scored third on the podium, his first outing for Aston Martin. That's how the season begins then. Let's have a good old discussion about it and work out what it means for this year and what we think of the start of F1 2023. Joined by our chief editor, uh, Kevin Turner. Uh, by JBL, uh, Jake boxall like formerly our technical editor, now F1 writer, because things changed this week, but we'll get into that. And Matt Q, who's going to be at a lot of the races, but is at home for this one, which is nice, our F1 editor. Uh, chaps, welcome along to the first podcast of the year. Kev, I'll start with you. Uh, so, that's... What's the best word? I think the best word has been used a fair bit this week, but I'll use it again. This is ominous for Red Bull, right? They looked... Do not even break a sweat. How did you read that one today?
3: Yeah, can we just skip over the potential for a championship fight and just talk about Fernando Alonso who basically single-handedly <laughs> saved the race? Yep. Uh, yeah. I don't, how, how honest should I be? I, I, I mean, it, yeah, there isn't going to be a championship fight, is there? Let's be entirely honest. You know, Red Bull, uh, you know, they were, all, they, you know, Perez was second on the grid, which is that's ominous. <laughs> uh, he that's- he did his usual he did his usual <laughs> thing of losing out to a faster driver in a slower car at the start, and then the 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 basic race pace of the Red Bull pulled him up to second. By which time Max Verstappen had finished, had a coffee, shaken some <laughs> hands, scored these twenty five points. So yeah, I mean, I think um, yeah, I don't want to be too negative about it because it's just the first race. So it sounds ridiculous to say, but. <laughs> I'll be absolutely amazed if anyone can stop Max Verstappen taking his third world title this year. Is that, is that too negative as a first? No,
1: absolutely not. What, because if the other, yeah, dive in. Well, I was going to say, first of all, Kev, uh, thank you for setting the tone because I was just doing myself some dinner. I thought I'm going to have to start the podcast with a caveat saying like, well, still buy Autosport, still come and read us, but <laughs> it's it's game over already. But you haven't got as far as Russell, who said, uh, yeah, uh, Red Bull have won every single race. See you later. So, uh, so maybe there is a middle ground in this that's not quite. Oh, so, I don't think uh, they'll do that so like to win
3: 23, to win 23 races like there's going to be a, a mess up or a. A a, a track where one of the other teams nails it. Yeah, I'll be amazed if they win all 23, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Max breaks the record that he set last year for wins (laughs) in a season.
0: Well, that's why I I say ominous, though, because Bahrain, obviously, Formula One is a circuit-dependent sport, depending on where you go. You do have better days and worse days, but Bahrain is one of those tracks that Red Bull just don't go well at. They haven't... uh, I can't think the last time they won at Bahrain I can't think of the last time that well they've never certainly never had a 1-2 uh at Bahrain and uh Verstappen's never won the opening race of a season so that that's lots of monkeys off of backs now so here we go um but it's just like uh, Jake I'll bring you in because we we're watching testing and they looked quick but it was it was more the style of Verstappen saying, "Well, yeah, everything we sort of did worked. So then we went a bit extreme to see if we could break it, and we did, and we dialed it back, and it was all okay." Like when you were watching testing as our former technical editor, were you? Did you think it'd be this dominant though?
2: Well, I must confess, I didn't watch all of testing because I was uh, away gallivanting in uh, South Africa Formula course, E. But I the bits it. of testing that I did see, um, for, you know, from the data that everybody had, um, from the general performances on the track. It just seemed like, you know, they'd, they'd managed to keep all of the best bits from their car last year, work on the things that didn't work so well. So obviously getting the weight down was a big thing because um, that was part of the uh, the issues that they'd started last season with. Um, they seemed to be incredibly reliable as well. Um, I think it seemed ominous from from the offset there. Um, I think, if anything, when it came to, to practice and qualifying, it was maybe a little bit surprising to kind of see um the other teams so close in 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 air quotes. Um <laughs> uh, you know Alonso giving them a run for their money in practice, um Ferrari looking quite quick and qualifying. Um but this race pace just seems to be something else. Uh, and that was something that they showed in testing. Um and they you know they've they've very much carried it over here. So Max was from from pole, off and away, never
0: looked back. And that's what I'm trying to work out because when you have these like periods of dominance in Formula One of we are undoubtedly in a Red Bull period now for who you know, who knows how long. You never know how much the car is turned down, how much the driver is uh is just reining in. I guess Matt, like you can't because you study the lap times, you know, you and Alex Kalinorkis, who were sort of flip-flopping your job last year, because you were writing the driver ratings, you were going through all of the lap times and stuff. So you can see that consistency and you can see how much pace they might have in the car. But it just seems to me that if any time they'd said to max can you go half a second quicker for the next 10 laps be, yeah fine that's no problem like it just seems they could have just done anything any tyre strategy it just would have worked today wouldn't
1: it yeah it seems that way doesn't it i mean uh <laughs> this is what the new rules are, exact opposite of what they were intended to do we have this convergence and now you know team principals are talking about well, it might be the better part of a decade before the cost erodes the advantages and then in the second year, the rules, regulations and third year, the cost cap one team's pulled even further away, which is a bit ominous. I mean, I think if we want to clutch on to the straws of optimism, I think, oh God, it comes from probably the Bahrain tarmac because the drivers are saying it's like a cheese grater. It just destroys the rubber, which really hampered Ferrari significantly. And uh, and Aston and Red Bull seem to excel. But it's not a, it's not. Not massively comforting to, to to rely on that to define the season, but the way Verstappen sort of bolted away, you know, two seconds clear after two laps, six and a half seconds after ten laps over Leclerc. That's an that's an awful long way to to come back from, and and you know they did the soft soft hard strategy that that didn't seem to interfere. You know, uh, going going light or with sorry low fuel on the hardest compounds. You know, the the Leclerc having uh from his q three strategy having the fresh set of softs at the tyres that never that never paid off in fact uh he pitted before uh leclerc and then red bull responded so that fresh tire advantage counted for um it's late and I'm running out of sophisticated <laughs> polite vocabulary It didn't count for a lot uh in in the end so so <clears throat> that that is all uh that is all I suppose immensely troubling and Verstappen seems you know quite happy but to go back to sort of what what you what, how you framed it is sort of what's the car what's the driver almost I, I hate to, I hate to be this simplistic but when we were working out going through the data last year to work out what was car and what was driver you sort of look at the teammate and and that that was a the difference there I think the 11.9 second margin at the end was probably a bit flattering I think Verstappen had another couple of gears and I'd almost, I'd almost put it upon Red Bull that they said, Max, can you just complain about the downshifts rear locking so so it doesn't look too easy for us, so they don't step in with a regulation change anytime soon. <laughs> They're like sand, radio sandbagging
3: in the first event well, of the year. Well, I, God, there's 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 a lot from what Max said I'd like to pick up on. The first is yes, I think Max seems to have a Lewis Hamilton style thing of if things look a bit easy, I must invent a problem. Like almost in his, maybe it's the thing that they need to just keep. Batting against the odds, even when it's, you know, frankly, a capable for them. So Max seems to have picked that up from Lewis. I think mm-hmm. uh when you've got a great driver in a great car, and let's face it, run by a great team, like they it just it, they just make victories look easy, don't they? Uh yeah, we saw it with Mark Schumacher at Ferrari. I think he's he's great at individual drives or when Ferrari was a bit rubbish, and when everything was working with Jean Tot and, and uh you yeah, know Ross Braun, Rory Byrne carr. He didn't have to delve too deep into his own ability too often because he he, he got it won beforehand, and I think we saw that with with uh, Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes at times. And I think we're head, we're entering now a period where Max probably doesn't have to be absolutely ringing the neck, heroic. You know, you look at the onboard of his pole lap; it all looked very easy. Didn't look like he was. You know, it didn't look like the Max Verstappen of two or three years ago it was really hanging out. That's what Charles Leclerc looks like when he's uh, when you see him pushing. But just to pick up on one thing that Matt said about the the rules, I don't think we can blame the rules. I don't think you can do anything more on the regs to close up the field. Like they've got, you know, they've got the cost. Okay, so it will take a little while for these things to to filter through. But you've got a cost cap. You've got the this sliding scale of wind tunnel and, res, you know, all the all the resource restrictions. Like basically everyone else has to do a better job. Uh, Ferrari can kind of understand the logic of what they tried to do. They, they had a decent car last year they didn't make the most of and they've just tried to iron out the... The problems with it, as we've seen today, perhaps I haven't been entirely successful there, but you can kind of see the logic. The one I don't really understand is is Mercedes because they had a, a concept that didn't work and continues to not work. <coughs> uh, whereas Aston Martin have just been pragmatic and go, let's do what Red Bull were doing. Uh, and they've made a massive leap up the field. So uh, we cool. will get to convergence eventually, but it, you know, I think it will take a while. Hmm.
1: That, that's the point isn't it that you know without being too flippant the three cars on the podiums were Red Bulls today you know to, to, whether it's the Dan Fallows carryover of technology or just the inspiration and you know I, I know that Aston got some stick when they turned up with that update in Barcelona. and go oh it looks just like the Red Bull but at this point after a year and teams not binning off their car concepts and you know meeting the definition of insanity which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting <laughs> different results. It is up to them to change and up to them to mimic Red Bull now. Like I think, I, I don't think that's like a tab- taboo subject or us trying to get a cheap laugh. That is that is what has to be done and I know you, know, you can be quick to point out that I think the balance is pretty much on 60% of the floor is doing the heavy lifting and the top services make up 40% maybe less in a ground effect area but from what you can see or from you know if Verstappen's car ever breaks down it needs to be craned and if they can get peak of the underfloor that's what that's what the other teams need to be doing to be to be competitive now and uh, actually just to just in that sort of car driver debate Kev, I know that you have now banned referring to Sergio Perez a tire whisperer in any way. Partly because it's <laughs> cliche, but also, but it's because Verstappen that is an underrated element of his driving is that is he can nurse a prellies, which he did today. Why he can have it in and reserve, and why that was a consummate performance. And this is me for you know all the times Verstappen doesn't generally doesn't get the credit he deserves because that we constantly whether it's Mercedes and Lewis or whatever. It's it's always the car versus driver debate, but that is one area where he totally hours and, and is doing again this season
0: Toto Wolff came out afterwards and said uh, it was bad. In fact, I wrote the quote down so I can tell you exactly what it was. Verbatim. That was one of our worst days in racing. The Aston Martins are very fast, and the Red Bull is just on a different planet. It hurts that they are so far ahead. So yeah, customer of theirs finishing on the podium in a race that's almost sixty laps, both their cars almost sixty seconds behind. So you know, second a lap, nearest, damn it. So JBL, do you know you are head of Mercedes technical director do you throw in the towel now and go right what's what's newy over the road done
2: well the issue is, is what can they do everybody's so kind of hemmed in with with cost cap and and everything you know is how much do you want to spend on trying to get something out of the car that they've got now uh, the w14 um they've already got stuff kind of in the pipeline for that and to try and alleviate some of the, the issues that it has. But uh, the bottom line is whatever they do to it, even if they tack on some updates, it's going to be worth what, like maximum a little bit less than half a second. That's still not enough. That's still not enough per lap. Um, it's not enough to, to fix their qualifying disadvantage. It's not enough to fix their race pace disadvantage. So the only, the earliest you can really do it is next year. And so this seems like it's going to be another season of trying to squeeze every last drop out of a car concept that they know definitive. Well, I wouldn't say definitively, Mm. but it's one that they've said is it's got promise and we just need to unlock it. And we just need to do this and we need to do that. But sometimes when you can't unlock a bank vault with a house key and (laughs) they'll spend forever trying to unlock something out of it. But if there's no, you know, if you can't get in, then, then you know, it's, it's a point. It's, it's a pointless exercise in trying to waste resources and trying to do that. So again, it is the you know the earliest thing they can do is probably next season, unless they want to throw caution to the wind and you know spend a load of money on trying to create a B spec. But again, in the parameters of what you've got with regards to wind tunnel testing, with the team, the resources that teams have, it's so much harder to course correct now. And I think that's something that they're going to have to contend with. Um, When it came to the cost cap penalty that Red Bull got last year, for example, it was easy for them to deal with because they already had the quickest car and the concept clearly worked if it had been them in Mercedes shoes and then having to contend with the cost cap penalty, it would be, you know, they'd be midfield, low midfield at best. This is the problem they have to work through. Whether they can suddenly find something out of the car it seems more and more unlikely by the day. And um, I think they will be either putting a lot of money into trying to create a halfway house for this season and then try and do something different for next year or they'll be spending a lot of money on photographers to try and stand by every single <laughs> conceivable corner just in case someone gets craned off and they can have a little look at the yeah.
3: floor. Oh, no, come on, Adrian Newey will have put a self-destruct button in the Red Bulls. So if it's going to get lifted, they'll hit it and it'll just spontaneously come back. It'd be but, like a little
2: like hovercraft skirt. that just Yeah, yeah.
3: Out. I mean, sure, surely Mercedes will have a Red Bull-style side pod concept bolted to the car for Spain. That's Surely it's going to be something like that, isn't it? As close so- as they can get with the current car, which is perhaps not as close as they'd like. So where is Mercedes in the pecking
1: order? Fourth? I think so. I think the, the worrying sign is, is that, is that where it is now? So, you know, yesterday, uh, last season, sorry, the whole big thing was they had this theoretical concept, which was class-leading levels of downforce. And then the porpoising sensation came and it took three quarters of a season to properly nail what made that tick. They've gone over away over the winter and they've set themselves some performance targets of what they need to do to close the gap. And now they've met them and they haven't got a fundamental problem like porpoising. So this is where they are now. And and, and yes, there was the uh, changes from Friday to Saturday where they you know, were fiddling with with the balance and basically said, oh, we think if we do this, we'll get a tenth. And they gained half a second. That's great. But they're still, what, six tenths a lap down on the leading contenders. And they're not really sure why they got that half a second from. So while that is problem solving of another sort, it's not like a low hanging fruit, a silver bullet, any cliche like Paul Busing. It's just, it's a car that's not quite quick enough. And I think as JBL says, that's where you throw caution to the wind. And, you know, we are hearing a new spec side pod where it, you know, they'll move away from this, this sort of like cuttlefish, like zero size zero thing they've got, whether they go sort of for a more Red Bull design, I don't know, or whether they write immediately bin off this season, almost like, Haston in 2021 and go, everything's for next season. You know, Toto Wolf has said, We need a new concept. Russell's already at the point where he's going, Well, I think we need a new concept just to tick a box, really, which that sort of um, wow. more resigned attitude is, is quite telling. But Toto Wolf has said, Right, Hamilton, you know, we've seen from Alonso what Hamilton can do, how long he's gone for, we're going to give him his eighth world title. Toiling around with this car isn't going to do that. They've not got a new wind tunnel to wait for like, like McLaren is. So they have to take really firm, decisive action. And in Mercedes case where they're so, you know, you really sort of buy into this no blame culture, they're not going to sack a technical director. They might bring James Allison back into the fray a bit more than he is now with his upstairs role, but you know, they've, they've got their lot and they need to, they need to sort of act, act with what they've got, and 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 sticking with this car is is not going to be the best way to maximise those resources. I know, you, sorry to yeah. prattle on a little bit, but Toto Wolf has been big on, you know, last season he he was reading up on the post Sir Alex Ferguson here at Manchester United because he sees why dynasties, sporting dynasties, fall, and his attempts to or their attempts to rescue it has so far taken a team from third to fourth. So they need to sort of get off that path. They need their uh, Eric Ten Hag moment or they I'd say that after that I think they've just been whooped 7-0 so that's a terrible it, have, yeah.
3: <laughs> Even I, who do, I don't know anything about, even I know it's a bad day to be talking about Manchester United. <laughs> uh,
1: joint, I was covering joint, Formula 1, I do apologise.
3: Uh, it's the joint heaviest defeat
0: in Manchester United's history, losing 7 nil to Liverpool. So yeah, fallen dynasties, post-Ferguson, that's all good stuff, that's all very topical for our joint F1 and football fans. So, um so yeah mercedes are fourth uh who's second then in terms of the pace after after today is it ferrari or is it aston martin who is
1: who's behind red bull based on today you have to say aston martin i think one because if you look at one lap pace i think you can make a case that alonso obviously didn't run later in the session so so loses a bit of time there but you know it's it's race pace that's that's a decisive factor and the way that Aston was second only to Red Bull in terms of tire degradation and and Lance Stroll who is poor on mileage being so competitive as well i think that underlines it. it's not you know some of it is Alonso heroics but that is fundamentally a mega car Ferrari was struggling badly with its degradation um and i think if you if we we've, we've ruled out Mercedes as the second fastest to to the answer to your question Martin so let's look at Ferrari where Alonso could nail his hard tyres in that final stint to pass Hamilton with a brilliant manoeuvre, to pass Sainz yeah. with a really engaging battle and then streak four seconds ahead of Sainz and never pay the consequences for ha- ha- having absolutely rinsed his hard tyres. And Ferrari yeah. clinging on to the Bahrain asphalt being an outlier, being so abrasive. <laughs> but the fact that there weren't consequences, there wasn't a trade-off. And, and you know, before we talk about Ferrari unreliability or... or or any of that business, the Aston did it on merit. And, you know, if you wind back to last season and people going, well, well, they'll be slightly better off anyway, because Alonso will give you that two tanks that Vettel never could. I think Alonso was mega where he picked his passes, but that was a brilliant car working very, very effectively. So when it comes to Jeddah, because I think the Aston was so good because of the way they were so late on the brakes and their mechanical low speed grip, but they do have a top speed deficit. Whether that is tunable with setup or whether they are behind in Jeddah and there is a tuning and throwing remains to be seen. But on the basis of a Grand Prix today, Aston Martin are the second fastest team, in my opinion. All right, does Kev agree? My, well, I well, <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> yes,
3: in terms of I think today, like I, I agree, I agree with what Matt said, but I think the two the two caveats I would say are. Science was off it this weekend. Like, he doesn't like Bahrain. He was well off Leclerc. Let's remember Leclerc was well down the road uh, when he... Yeah, he would have been third. Yeah, it was great to see Alonso on the podium. I'm sure we'll get onto that in a, man- in a minute anyway. Um, but, yeah, he would have been fourth. So uh, And I think that there will be other tracks where the Ferrari will be stronger because of the you know the tyre degradation won't be such an issue. So I still think if I was to say, oh, who do you think is going to finish in the constructors' Championship? I still think I'd go with Ferrari at this point. But it is tantalising to think that Alonso has got a car that's now... Yeah, that fight with Lewis is the one we've been waiting for for 10 years, isn't it? Finally. Like, Alonso's <laughs> has think... finally got a car. Yeah. On the contrary, they said, oh, we've been waiting for this for the last 15 laps. I went, I've been waiting for it for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wanted Alonso and Hamilton to go wheel-to-wheel in roughly equal kit. Okay, so the Aston was quicker today. And it was mega. Like, they were that was two proper drivers. Actually, Alonso had a great race with Russell. Then he had a great dice with Lewis. And then, uh, and then a good one with science as well. So, it, it, yeah, it was, fa- it was fantastic. So I, I do agree with Matt. I don't think it was just Alonso heroics. The fact that Stroll could beat George Russell, having not driven the car, basically. I mean, <laughs> I think that shows you how good the Aston is. So today, I would probably put it second. Overall, still probably plump for Ferrari. But isn't it a shame that Alonso let himself get done by Lewis on the first lap and then got tapped by, by Stroll? Because yeah. who, how could he have given Lickler and well, not Verstappen, but maybe Perez a bit more to think about? Would have he could have done.
1: Exactly, that's what I want to uh, tack on. You sort of you've you've come up with my rebuttal, Kev, which is which is uh, which is great, but sort of dials down the debate we're trying to have on a podcast. I think bigger picture. Sorry, you can right, just cut the tough... last ten seconds out,
3: and you can cut <laughs> yeah.
1: easily. So Martin can make what? the magic happen. <laughs> I've just come up with an inspired points, which I'll now add, all off my own back. Uh, <laughs> slick, really uh, slick. I like it. Thank you. I think, yeah, bigger picture, you're still looking at Ferrari second. And I know it's, you know, what, what ifs and all of that stuff. But if everything is all fair and equal, and even if you separate qualifying and, and Alonso perhaps underselling himself with that lap for fifth place, if... Leclerc doesn't get ahead of Perez and and Alonso doesn't get squeezed out by Hamilton maybe there is a bit more of a question mark of who would have got that that podium position maybe it wasn't quite as cut and dry where Leclerc would have nailed it before his before his engine went bang obviously we don't know that and and you know part of the pressures of multimedia and whatever is that we're we're doing a podcast on the night of I haven't had a cup of tea and really sort of vacillated all over the data and the lap times to see if there's a like-for-like comparison on Alonso's race pays on a certain stint with, with Leclerc. But maybe it wasn't quite so cut and dry that, that he gets the final spot on the podium if he doesn't retire.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's... Uh, oh, JBL, agree? Uh, it goes... So what's your order? Who's, who's second and third
2: on pace? Tempted to just kind of uh, not get in too much in the way of the debate and go straight down <laughs> the middle and assume my usual role as fence sitter. Ooh!
0: out of your backside, please. I think
2: yeah. when it comes... It's going to be a case of... Um, yeah, on this bit ba- on this basis, at least, uh, and it, it's going to be track by track. I think, and, and and Matt's already mentioned the 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 pace that Aston has got in those very very low speed corners. You take that to somewhere like Monaco, for example. Imagine what <laughs> what we could be in for Ooh. if uh, Alonso <laughs> can get a good qualifying lap on the go. Um, mm. You know, that could be something. Um, but I think you know there there is a clear advantage that that, that Ferrari's got in uh, in the slightly quicker sections of the circuit. Um, and, you know, Leclerc was very, very quick in qualifying as well. And that's something that Ferrari does kind of take uh, as, as kind of a, a, a good omen. Um, mm. Frederick Vassa wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't willing to kind of, let's say, get too uh, bogged down in the negatives, even though it was a very, very difficult day. Um, mm. The fact remains that, you know, Leclerc was still, what, three-tenths off of Verstappen in qualifying um and you know that's something that you know race by race venue by venue that can that can change and Ferrari can still be in the hunt I don't think it's going to be the doom and gloom that that Russell was predicting where uh Red Bull would theoretically win all 23 races I think Mm Ferrari still got something there and I think they've got something about them and I think it's just a case of getting on top of whatever reliability issues have kind of reared their head Uh, again that does kind of skew things a little bit today um I think At the moment, Ferrari is probably still on balance the second quickest. But again, as I say, uh, race by race, that can change. And there will be days where Aston Martin just has that edge. And, you know, particularly Alonso, because uh, he's showing absolutely no very big cliche, but he's showing no signs of slowing down at his uh, his tender (laughs) age of, what, 42 now? Uh, 42 this year, yeah, Yeah. If, if not already. No,
3: he's still he's still forty one. I know this because uh, it's nice to have someone on the grid who's still uh, just fractionally older than I am. <laughs> uh that makes me happy. Um I mean while we're on the while we're on the positive, nice to get a positive from JBR there. Also, we're talking about um yeah, we've been waiting for someone to join the big three for years, mm. haven't we? Really. I know we've yeah. had the odd win here and there from uh yeah obviously ricardo got the win at monza and ocon got his alpine win but i mean that they were kind of crazy 1970s 80s star races in terms of genuine pace it's been a big three for a long time and aston martin genuinely looks like they're going to be in the mix uh with at least two of the big three and i think that's that's fantastic it's great from a general f1 point of view and yeah i'm going to be biased and say i really want to see alonso up there and if he can win I don't mind if, if Red will win 22 races if if Alonso wins the other one and gets his you know, gets his first win for 10 years. That would be absolutely awesome. So I spent the last probably quarter with Alonso just
0: riding on board. So I I'm this year I'm using Multiviewer, which I've seen loads of people on social media talk about. Um, and I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to get into it, uh, listening to all the radio, watching it from his on board. And so I watched that through him uh, getting Hamilton and then, and dropping Hamilton at the restart after the virtual safety car. Uh, he just timed that. I was, I think they had the camera facing backwards at the time and he just absolutely timed it perfectly and dropped him. And then when he got, uh, science, I'm pretty sure they did make contact and then he was just off. And the engineer said to him after a, maybe a few more turns, uh yeah be careful he's still 0.8 seconds behind and just it's like he was going for a walk in the park alonso just so calmly said yeah don't worry he's going to kill his tires that was his response that was when norris was staying with the both that little chasing pack as well Uh, that's when he said this this car is lovely to drive i think that made that made the world feed and i agree kev i just want like an alonso a happy alonso provides a lot for formula one and also a very unhappy Alonso provides a lot i, I, I was gonna say i think
3: he provides a lot to f1 whether he's happy or furious he's just a great Back. person to have on the grid but today we really saw the on track thing that he brings you know that race would have been if amy and for Alonso and aston martin would have had two red bulls running away from two ferraris one of which then broke and then running away from two mercs and it would have been like oh god but Alon- Alonso, basically with his overtakes and he okay so he's slightly out of position uh from the from you know from where he should have been really yeah uh but he just yeah the the, the pass on Lewis was fantastic uh you know Hamilton I, I think was brilliant in the wheels it was all good wheel to wheel stuff there was no idiotic driver mm. today it was all quality drivers doing proper motor racing uh, it was that, good and that, and that it, was I- great
0: Unlike IndyCar today at St. Petersburg, which has been a destruction derby, there was not too much carbon fibre left on the track today <laughs> from Formula One. But you know, you're right, absolutely. And it was, and it was, it was great because you had that big swapper on on turn turn four or something or turn ten, and he caught it, and it was just such, a, it was just such good action. It was funny afterwards. Rosberg interviewed Alonso on that that sort of. LED podium which they now have and you could tell when Rosberg said did you like passing lewis hamilton and getting past him like oh rosberg loved asking that question um, i thought that was really nice if alonso can qualify up there at week in week out and we can see the race pace of that aston martin and they can develop it through the year which as you've mentioned matt dan fallows for anyone kind of new or doesn't know he was the former head of aerodynamics at red bull now he's technical director at aston martin then he learned from the best. And that, that's going to be brilliant to watch this year. Let's talk a little bit. So we've talked about um, Mercedes. Anybody want to chip in a bit more with Mercedes? Toto Wolff said they're going to change concept.
3: Lewis was down. Russell was down afterwards. Anything else you've heard? I thought it was interesting to note that the early part of stints, Russell looked quicker, even to the point where he got on the radio and went, is, uh, mm. is uh, Lewis just struggling or is he looking after <laughs> the sides? Yeah. I then are oh, he's struggling, but actually... Hamilton was quicker by the end of the stints. Like he was still just that little bit better on time management, and ended up quite a bit further down the road than than Russell, which is which I think is good actually. It's good. It showed that Hamilton's still at that very high level, and it gives something George to to aim for and get even, you know, even better at. So uh, I think I still think it's a fantastic driver line. I, was, I thought, thought that was quite interesting that uh, early on Hamilton looked like he was kind of in the way, but actually he just he just managed the race brilliantly. I thought that he did say, didn't he, before the final stop that he could have done more laps uh, on those tyres and they brought him in to try and stop the Alonso undercut. With hindsight, you could say, ah, actually, maybe they should have just given up the fight on Alonso, let Lewis go longer, and then he'd have had more tyres to go at science with at the end. So might he have – he'd have definitely lost to Alonso, but might he have been able to beat – So because he cruised up to the back of him and then ran out of rubber. They, well, they both did, didn't they? Science, Science ran out of tyres first, and then Hamilton did you know, in the dirty air, while Alonso just, just disappeared down the road. Mm. I mean, I did yeah. speak to Alex because after flag fall and he did say that one of uh, Mercedes – who is out there – and one of Mercedes' problems is that they went uh, kind of light on the aero uh, to get some straight line speed and try and get a lap time out of the car but then that hurts you cuz you slide around more and you screw the tires. So I think they were probably they were in a compromised setup. And I think Hamilton was probably doing a very good job managing the tires that only really became
1: obvious more towards the end. But I did find that particularly amusing when Russell sort of just started <laughs> to get on Hamilton about struggling and uh you know just asking a question of whether he can have the position and fires it off at turn 10 which I'm guessing there's a, they're slightly staggered but those two those two uh moments that, that that was that was quite amusing i also actually on the subject of radio messages i know you said you were listening into fernande but you know he's he's given himself a reputation now how much of that is is gameplay when he says it's a lovely car because you know for mm. every gp2 engine there is and and for every it's the worst defending i've ever seen from my teammate who said about ocon he knows there's an audience he knows people are listening so whether you know that's just uh just sort of playing the game, really. Like I wonder about that stroll, about that, about that. T with the with the lap one collision with Stroll, the cynic mm. who he says he knew damn well it was a green car in his mirrors, just chose to keep him quiet and and not reacting to that all, all the way through. Just in the same way as when it was announced he was an Aston Martin signing, and then Lance Stroll sort of fired him off the road in in America. That was the one incident of of last season. He didn't seem to have a major grudge at. So sort of trying to and then and then getting out of the car today and, and and throwing a load of praise on on Stroll, who actually is is entirely deserving of that. I know there was that sort of slight. Um, debate over is it irresponsible for him to come back slightly injured and deny a chance to Dragovic slash, you know, ah, oh, but better back then. We would have praised that kind of behaviour with louder coming back from injuries, you know, to, 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 to race in, in 76, that dilemma. But I, I, I thought Stroll gave a really good account of himself. Um, but, you know, the, the, again, second guessing Alonso's actions, which is always amusing, whether whether Alonso getting out of the car and saying Stroll was mega, that's just to placate the team for as long as possible until the inevitable flare up next time when, when Lawrence Stroll deigns to suggest that his son should get the tweaked front wing.
0: <laughs> yeah, they that was another part of the team radio picked up afterwards as well when he said, Lance is my hero. What a result. Uh, and that and again maybe that was for the world feed they didn't I, i'm not sure that was played um, that's when the engineer was sort of telling him oh by the way uh, you're on the podium so you need to go to this place near the way bridge and don't go to the usual place first time podium since what would that be 2021 20, i guess for um, for alonso right we'll take a quick break when we come back we will do go through the rest of the fields and work out who had a good day bad day and what it means for the rest of the season
2: stay there i'm alex rodriguez
0: All right, welcome back to the Autosport Podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the rest of the field then. In fact, I'm not I'm aware that I didn't do a rundown of the top 10 because I like to get into it straight away uh, at the beginning of the show. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, and Alonso with the podium. Carlos Sainz in the only remaining Ferrari, followed by Lewis Hamilton and then Lance Stroll with Broken Bones in sixth place. George Russell in seventh. Valtteri Bottas scoring points. In Bahrain, because, of course, because uh, he always does. Uh, in ninth, Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon in the Williams in tenth. Yuki Tsunoda in eleventh, because it's Bahrain, so of course he'll finish in eleventh. Uh, Logan Sargent is outing in twelfth. Brilliant. K-Mag in thirteenth. Nick DeVries, fourteenth. Uh, uh, Nico Hülkenberg in 15th, uh, Joe Guanyu fastest lap in 16th, and Lando Norris was classified two laps down in 17th. Uh, JBL, let me ask you a little bit about what you think of the Alpha Romeo, because in Bottas's hands, finishing eighth today, he looked pretty good, not quite as quick uh, in Joe Guanyu's uh, seat, although he fastest lap at the end, uh, that was uh, a bit weird, because he almost caught Alonso, as Alonso was weaving across the line to celebrate, and it, it made a bit of a gap to go for the fastest lap, but... Okay, fine. Uh, what do you make of what Alfa Romeo
2: have brought to this year? The team is still very much in a kind of some kind of same size, same continuation as kind of last season. Um, obviously, with their their P6 and the Constructors' Championship, they had uh, a little bit more money and a little bit more resource to kind of go out and recruit and stuff like that. But they're still, at the end of the day, the kind of uh, quintessential, let's say, slap bang in the middle team. Um, uh, qualifying probably wasn't you know, quite to their taste, um, but... Uh, a lot of um you know bottas's performance in the race was was him just taking a strategy and executing it really well and it, it really worked out for him i think the sort of key moment of that was uh when he came in for his first pit stop uh on lap 11 um he'd come in for for the hard tire um and what he'd managed to do is is actually overcut uh fernando alonso and i think it was uh george ross yeah george russell as hmm. well so he'd managed to undercut them, was ahead of them, and obviously didn't have the pace to kind of keep up with them. But, um, I thought that was very, very good, uh, you know, kind of taking the, the, the strategy and, and taking the prerogative and, and, and doing the right thing there. Um, and, and that eventually led to him being in that kind of position in the lower midfield. Uh, it was kind of almost, uh, almost a lonely race. Uh, he had, mm. did have Pierre Gasly catching back up to him towards the end of the race, but, I think Bottas kind of had it all in hand and he was uh you know very sort of sensible and solid P8 so it was a really good afternoon from him uh and just on 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 Joe um he was kind of uh, one of the drivers it was him and Nick DeVries. they were kind of a hamstrung a little bit towards the end um because neither of those two pitted under the virtual safety car and the cars around them kind of did so you had guys like Alex Albon and and Gasly and uh Sonoda and and Sargent all kind of catching back up and and making ground over here. And so what Alpha decided to do at the end was, uh, you know, a brand... Well, I don't know if it was a brand new set, but a set of soft time. And um, so he could go and do the fastest lap and take the point away from Pierre Gasly. So in, you know, (laughs) a a mirror to last season where Alfa Romeo was uh, trying to ruin aston martin's race so they could beat them in the constructors championship they're there again just uh you know trying to not quite play the fool as such but try and be a nuisance and and it paid off Mm. again uh gasly didn't get that fast as that point and you know by the end of the season uh it could be the case where they're split by a single point and and that would have been the clincher so um you know, even though it's the first race of the season, they're already thinking about that, um, which, you know, it's quite an interesting note. Um, you know, Joe had a sort of relatively decent race, wasn't really, let's say, in the hunt for points. But um, I think because qualifying was so compromised, um, you know, it was probably the best thing they could do. Mm. absolutely and it wasn't
0: very much two by two uh for the rest of uh of the rest of the field as we work our way through because after the 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 top two red bulls and then uh the two mercs only one Ferrari finishing and the two Aston Martins it then was Alfa Romeo because Bottas uh was in seventh and then Alpine then Williams and then Alfa Tauri and so kind of mixing it up that midfield battle uh Matt that we're all looking forward to this year Pierre Gasly was in ninth in the Alpine, and uh, uh, so that that's that's worthy of a mention in terms of Gasly getting two points uh, uh, in the in the the other Alpine. Uh, Esteban Arcon, not classified a DNF uh, <laughs> because everything he did turned to crap today in terms of. Uh... Couldn't we
3: introduce a new award? I think we should have the comedy performance of the weekend award. <laughs> I mean, it uh, he, just got worse and worse. It, so, was, it was three different penalties, and each one related to the penalty before. It actually <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Like it was like it was it was like uh, stacking, it was a stacking block yeah, it's like stacking.
0: Like my you, that my toddler does, and it's like it just more and more. So he finished. Yeah. So, so the first one was was he didn't he wasn't in his grid slot, and I thought it meant he went long, but he didn't. It was. Uh, he,
3: Oh, enormous like, um,
0: microphone shot! We can't <laughs> say that one, the, the listeners have got to see. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, the, the the host of the podcast dropping his microphone. So like the first like the first one, first one uh, was he was far far too off to the side. Like you look at that shot of the uh, of the lights going out, and there's one car blatantly out of line. Uh, so there was that, and then it just kept stacking. And then it was uh, the engineers touching the car 0.4 seconds too early didn't serve his five second and and then you can tell the stewards sitting around going well what do we do now so that was a five second now it's a 10 second speeding in the pit lane have some more sir um, it w- it was it was comedy and he sh- he should have
3: he should have completed the set and done a track limits violation like Hulkenberg. That, <laughs> and that would have been absolutely brilliant wouldn't it? As well as like, you you basically have had a month added on to your race time at this stage uh, but can i just make so a you as to-
2: you are, esteban
3: <laughs> yeah but can i just make a request to f1 and sky like it's not a ty- it's not a 10 second time oh. penalty is it it's just a 10 second penalty you don't yeah, need exactly. to say the word time it's not a 10 second length penalty is it Pointless extra word infuriates me every time. I'm sorry, I know that's just me being weird. You can tell the uh, the writer or you know, the
0: writers
3: <laughs> in the room uh, offended
1: by that. I say if God. I can go incredibly niche, that was a worst jump start since John O'Leary in Bahrain in a speed car. There you go. That's something to YouTube. It's oh, quite amusing. Wow, that's I I oh, that. that's
3: brilliant! Yeah, he just I'm stuck <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but uh, but Matt uh, I think where I started this very rambling question was how did you uh, what do you make of Alpine on uh, their first outing and how they might look for the next few races
1: it's tough I think to call it anything other than a disappointment since there was so much hype both in terms of you know, the the steps forward taken by the car, you, you know, everyone's favoured Evolution. Alpine, arguably, apart from Aston Martin, have got closest to Revolution, the way they've completely reconfigured the rear suspension and cooling package. And the fact that they said we are going to be in for a really lonely season because we're going to close the top three and move away from the rest of the mid-pack. So, you know, those, uh, what's that, seventh and eighth place every week? They're ours. We're not going to be overtaking so you know they fell. They fell some way short of that. Obviously, in terms of pace, it's a slightly more of a grey area. Esteban Ocon's race was so poorly executed. You have to set it to one side. But the way Gasly came back through was obviously deeply impressive. So suggests there's hints, and you know they're obviously not in the turmoil that McLaren are in, or whatever. And and you know that you have to think there's more to unlock, and they they. Are convinced they're going to out everyone. So, you know, that, that fourth, fifth place is still very much achievable, but uh, one, once we got to testing, it was clear that Aston Martin were going to be the surprise package, but I thought Alpine would be the performer. I thought you know, Alpine would be the one taking it to Merck and Aston Martin would be sort of hanging on to their coattails. So by, by that measure, by their standards I've set for themselves, they, they, they disappointed, I suppose. um yeah, bit bit of a frustrating, frustrating one for that for, for, for them. Just just how badly the race was executed. Whether it was Gasly on his side, you know, tearing off the whole weekend by by starting from from the back of the grid, or, or 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 Ocon just ticking all the boxes. Maybe doing that thing of if I get all my bad luck and misdemeanors out of the way now, I'll be plain sailing, and then I can concentrate on falling out with a third or fourth teammate instead. Scoring points
0: today. Uh, Williams are off the mark already after the first event. Alexander Albon in 10th for Williams and an outing for Logan Sargent in 12th. Uh, So, yeah, finishing a lap down, but he's got to be happy. Uh, And actually, Kev, what do you think that Williams looks like? Not the fastest car out there, but drivable
3: more than the last couple of years. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's got to be the sort of pleasant surprise of the weekend, hasn't it? Both the the general uh, where they slotted in. Uh, for get a points grade. Also, Logan Sargent, I mean, he didn't set the world on fire in F2. He looked like he'd be a decent driver uh, that, you know, deserved an F1 chance but probably wouldn't be that amazing. But actually, yeah, you know, solid job, not a million miles behind Albon. Or was it 10th and 12th? Car look balanced. Okay, so they're lacking a bit of overall downforce, which is, can be said of pretty much any Williams since about 1997. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, since Adrian Newey left, and you know, he's subsequently produced some quite useful cars. Um, but yeah, I think they would—they'd be probably pretty pleased with that. I think it's a, a, a lot better than we were thinking after testing. I mean, obviously Matt was at Matt was at testing. I mean, I, I, my impression was that Williams. There was a feeling that they'd be, you know, kind of propping up the back again.
1: Albon said, "Hang on a minute, we we need some praise here. We're we're the second best developers, one winter to another, from since after Aston Martin, and you know, he sort of said uh, we could have done even more because he felt he really left uh, a bit of time on on the table in qualifying. I think." Kevda, if you go back and read my copy from a magazine, from testing, it was, we weren't saying they're were going to be... Well, actually, I, I did say that, I think, in the preview, that it'd be cut adrift Drifters' <laughs> black markers. But trackside observations were yeah. that they had basically... They had built a Formula 1 car. It looked really unremarkable, but all the better for... That wasn't masses of understeer. And OK, they were having to back off a bit through the high speed because, of you know as you say, the, the Williams lack of downforce. But it wasn't like the balancing of the Ferrari, the terminal understeer of... Um, of the McLaren and things like that, so I think a neat job. And you know, Vows, James Vows coming as team principal, he said he's obviously taking a job with assurances they'll be up to the cost cap. So if he can get a pretty handy operator and is a technical director too, without without putting too fine a point on it, it will be to save the season because you know you need or their chief designer has stepped into that role. You need someone to oversee that both in terms of logistics and planning. So what? Resources you dedicate to 2023? What do you pile into this massive reset that they're going to have for next year? Mm. So, um, so if they get that right, then it's a it's a competitive season. I, I expect them to sort of get shuffled further towards the rear. But as as a debut, you know as a as a debut for the F W forty five goes, it's mega. You would expect that perhaps a bit more from Jeddah, where it is it is low downforce and they can just be sort of slippery in a in a straight line. And Albon's racecraft can overcome the you know bizarre nature of the track where you're peering through walls half the time to sort of you know pick your pick your spots but it was it was just so so like oh, it's a horrible word it's just so nice it was such a nicely executed race from from him and and, and yeah the sergeant of the debutants probably probably gave the best account of himself albeit he wasn't hampered by by a bad car or bad strategy like the other mm. two were. JBL, you've come from uh, a little while covering Formula E,
0: and that's a series used to people coming in and buying teams and renaming them and shuffling around ownership and stuff like that. Let's talk about Alpha AlphaTauri. The story, of course, before the race uh, and after around testing as well was maybe Alpha AlphaTauri, if it doesn't perform, as Red Bull owners and shareholders would like, then it, it perhaps could be sold. There's plenty that would come in. Would you know? Andretti could come, would like to enter Formula One, um, but that's different to buying a team versus getting a, a a place on the entry list. How do you think AlphaTauri look today, JBL? What do you think about their prospects? And and does that start to play into the wider team future as well of what could happen to that team?
2: Well, I think it was a bit of a it was a bit of a difficult day. Um, You know, Sonoda was challenging Albon by the end of it. You know, arguably with a better car because you know the Williams is you know good in the straight line, and they trimmed off some of the downforce. Well, even more of the downforce just to try and maximise that advantage because, as we know, Bahrain's got very very long straights, and you know you can make a decent amount, of chunk of lap time there. But you know, Alex Albon elbows out. As is, as is his want and as he's become very accustomed to doing of late, um, you know, w- just proved too strong. And I think, as I said earlier, um, De Vries was the other driver that was um, hamstrung by the chance of not having the opportunity to pit under the virtual safety car. And so he kind of dropped like a rock. Um, and, you know, it, it was uh, after a, such a strong debut last year covering for Albon at Williams, um, it was a, a much more difficult proper debut. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure that having him on board again, as you mentioned, uh, I've done done Formula E for the last year and a bit, so I've sort of gotten to know him quite well. Um, he's he's quite a hard taskmaster in kind of the same kind of George Russell kind of mold. And as as everybody kind of pointed to during testing, he had this big long sort of checklist of things that the team can work on. Um and I think they'll be all the better for having him in the team. Um, as I said, it was a difficult race and he was kind of outshone by Sonoda. Mm. But, um, you know, again, it's, you know, it's his first proper Formula Formula 1 race. He's, he's used <laughs> to cars with about, you know, probably less than half the power. So um, it will probably take him a little bit of time to get properly up to speed. Um, you know, doing a one race in a Williams on a track that a Williams is supposed <laughs> to be quite good at. That's probably, you know, it's a bit of a... You know, it's an an outlier, for sure. Mm. Um, I think the team, um, with regards to takeover rumours, there was a sort of hands-off warning issued. um, There was sort of discussions that um, the new, uh, I guess, chairperson of Red Bull, uh, Oliver Minzlaff, was uh, perhaps looking at cutting it off because Red Bull, the Formula One team in itself, is self-sufficient now. It's got big sponsors. It's got Oracle. It's got, uh, you know, massive sponsors putting him in a lot of money uh, they're winning championships which brings plenty of income as well and Duff Terry's not really doing that and they're not really this self-sufficient team therefore they're costing you know the red Bull hierarchy a lot more money and so that was kind of the general I think outlook of what it was um again as I said there's been a hands hands-off warning issue the team's apparently not for sale but you know the team's been up for sale multiple times in its history and um i think theoretically i think if the right offer came along it would be something for them to think about i'm not saying that they would necessarily take it but let's say high tech with its new backers came in and made an offer or let's say andretti made an offer with its uh hedge fund management company behind it and cadillac behind it and all this that and the other if they came in with an offer if you know someone else came in with an offer uh, i'm sure it's something that they would look at but because Formula One teams are so valuable now, and have to be the right price, and the right price would be in this climate astronomical. Because they know that if the dilution fee goes up to six hundred million dollars for you know to to cover off all of the teams, then they could go, oh, you could have a fully going team for five hundred ninety nine million dollars. So um, yeah, I think the ball's in their court, and they they're the ones with the F one team. Mm. The race today wasn't particularly stellar, and you know, it, it seems like they're kind of on the same trajectory as last season. Um, obviously, it'd be nice to see them sort of improve a little bit and have a little bit more about them in the midfield. But um, for today, I think P11 for Sonoda, solid. Uh, I think that's probably the best you can say about it. <laughs> Solid is the best.
0: Uh, Kev, I didn't make too many notes on Haas. Uh, I can see that I wrote down that K Mag started on hards, only driver at the beginning and fell straight to the back. And that's about... The, oh, and Nico Hulkenberg couldn't stay within the white
3: lines and got told off well, for it. So
0: that's about anything I've written down for Haas. Well, Hulkenberg,
3: he had the opposite to Bottas, didn't he? One of the reasons, apart from the, the strategy that, that uh, JBL mentioned earlier on, the reason that Bottas got those points was because he made four places on the first lap as well and got himself in the mix. And Hulkenberg did the opposite. So let's be generous <laughs> and say it's a bit of race rustiness because he you know, hasn't hasn't been in F1 for a couple of years. But the, I don't think the Haas had the race pace to really do anything from there. So he kind of qualified out of position, almost like a Yarno Trulli thing. Instead of having a Trulli train, he just fell straight back to <laughs> roughly where he should be. Uh, and, and Magnussen didn't really get anywhere. And then obviously Hülkenberg, yeah, took it, took um, took the track limits thing. The one bit of the penalties that um, Ocon didn't manage to get Holcomb <laughs> uh, got instead.
0: It would have been nice but, to get a full uh, house, wouldn't it, for Ocon? have yeah, been would yeah. like
3: tick all the boxes. Um, it's a little bit of a shame for us because Bahrain is obviously a track that they quite often go well at. Obviously, they had that great result with with Magnussen last year. So, yeah, you do wonder where they slot in. Um, I don't think they were terrible, but I think that, you know, if people like, you know, Williams are doing a better job, uh, then it's gonna be that much more yeah everyone's trying to improve and I think there's been a lot of a lot of improvement with the exception of the cars in orange.
1: I, I'm just gonna rebuff your point a little bit, Kev, about Haas doing well in Bahrain. I think okay Hulkenberg had, had the damage, but I think this is where has life in F one is for for Haas at the minute. They Wow well that's what uh, I've That's what I mean. What I mean. The, like
3: they've historically done well there and they haven't today. Well so well last year they back. the
1: reason they did well there is because one, they spent they wrote off a year piling resources into another car, and and B, you know, because their freight was delayed, they were the ones testing in conditions identical to the race for with their like sort of extra time homework in, in the evenings and not you know, that that's having that extra data in, in conditions similar to the race has got it got to help from last year, which is why they got that sixth. But I would you know they've got two safe pairs of hands of drivers. Neither are, I think, world class, uh, and but they've been bought in to save the the two car snapping seven figure crashes that Mick Schumacher had last year, which means they can keep pace with development and not have to shelve the major upgrades. But they are a diminutive team, and even in even though the midfield is ultra ultra competitive, and there may be a bit of two and fro from one one side uh, from one one track to the next. I think you know if Williams are an improvement then it'll be up to Alpha Tor probably to keep hass off off the bottom of the t- of the table I just think just don't think they're 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 better at they're well enough equipped really. Okay, now let's talk. Now let's do it. Now let's talk with McLaren, a team
0: that continually surprises me in terms of how much I am disappointed by that team, and I shouldn't be anymore. But it's I, I continue to think they're gonna they're gonna solve this. They're, oh, they hired Piastri; he's going to be amazing. They're, oh no, they haven't. No, oh no, they haven't because they they need to pit Lando Norris six times to fill it up with what was it hydraulics kev i'll come to you first the cars carton orange you said you're sure that they will get better this year
3: sure it can't get too much worse well, really. it it's, any worse, it's no. a low bar but the reason a couple of reasons i say that one is we already know obviously they've got upgrades planned they they kind of made that pretty plain in testing when everyone went oh this is bad well don't, don't worry we've got some bits <laughs> uh so there was that also remember how abjectly terrible they were in Bahrain last year as well and actually they turned things around pretty well last year and, and got themselves into that yeah you could say they were they were sort of you know just Daniel Ricciardo away from from being fourth in the Constructs Championship that whole debate about oh, Alpine reliability versus Lando Norris scoring all of McLaren's points so they did make recovery so I'm sure they aren't going to be as bad as they looked today but they did look absolutely terrible unreliable and slow uh, so, yeah, you do wonder. I mean, we asked the question in, earlier in the year, you know, how, how long will Lando Norris really have patience? But uh, I suspect he'd still be quite hard on most people's shopping lists. And, um, yeah, he's going to be maybe taking those calls, calls a bit more readily all the time McLaren aren't showing any progress.
0: But then when Andreas Seidel wants him to drive for Audi in, what, 2026, that's another three years wasted
3: at McLaren. Will he wait that long? I'm not convinced he'll wait that long, but we'll see. Yeah. Matt and Jake are going to be in the paddock. You can ask him. That's a ask point. Him. Each race, <laughs> take it in turns to ask him. So,
1: <laughs> a new contract. Fair point, isn't it? The the Ricardo saga and Mabtir Binotto being asked to hand in his latest shows at Loyalty's, you know, it's not a thing in Formula One. I wonder if it makes the McLaren case better or worse. They're actually pretty pleased with how today went. Obviously, you know, the reliability was was shocking. And yeah, yeah, I think the, the reliability was shocking. And I think that is a serious concern now because just all, all the niggling little bits where it was the fou- fouling um, wheel arch, eyebrows, whatever the hell they're called, you know, those partial sort of covers, they, they were fouling the bodywork. And now you've had the pneumatic... Uh, engine pressure yeah. leak which occurred at turn one and was sapping uh power and and hurting the gearbox and obviously they had to connect the airline and then uh what was it that it was an electrical problem uh, at the basically the the wiring harness at the base of the steering column was was where that where that went wrong which is why the new steering wheel didn't work and the flipping upside is yes they had lots of good mm. pit stop practice but and the reason they didn't retire Norris is because they wanted to collect more data, you know, how limited it is with, with testing. And, and they're coming away saying, well, one, we sort of fixed one of our problems because, oh, okay, Piastri mucked up his qualifying lap, but his race stint was within a sort of a tenth and a half average lap of, of, um, of, of Norris, which is okay. There's a very, very small sample size to go from because it was only you know, 13 races, but that was his best executed race stint across testing and then a Grand Prix, and and there's you know half the gap that Ricardo had, and and they were basically coming into this weekend expecting to be annihilated, to, to be the laughing stock of Formula One, and they reckon they underplayed it in qualifying a little bit and their initial race pace suggests that they can fight for a point, which is not brilliant. That's not part of the recovery plan. It's not a success story, but it's not the absolute nightmare right off everything pre-upgrading Baku that they thought it would be. Now, again, that could just be the like, milestone of the midfield. It needs to settle and, and, and McLaren will get shuffled back in that. But they are genuinely... And I don't think it's like a put a positive spin on a disaster for the sake of a good press release, any of that. I think they're genuinely... Pleasantly surprised that it was they're 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 not like they're not an embarrassment. I mean, Londo Norris was say was he was asked like, you know, you are the team leader now, whether you like it, both through age and performance, you're the team leader. It's up to you to pick up these these fallen people back at the factory. And he said, that's not something I have to do. We are we are buoyed by what we have seen, which is a damning indictment of McLaren in in 2023. Wow. But it's yeah, I sound like I'm getting a, an invoice from them in the post, and <laughs> sometime soon, I'm not. But it's not we're all beating on them; they're not beating on themselves. But maybe that's why they're not doing very good because their pressure's not high enough. Uh, but the the good news is is that I think they're saying uh, Andra Stella is saying that basically his office overlooks a new wind tunnel, and you can hear the fans starting, um, and they reckon it could be influencing the car by June.
2: If you look at as, as kev mentioned last year being awful uh, at bahrain i think if you look at kind of pace and just generally where they were i mean they fin- finished what 14th and 15th last season they were absolutely nowhere that russell uh, look, russell that norris was fighting you know within the midfield at the start of the race and he was you know he was already at that point suffering from the you know the the, the legacy of the pneumatic issues that was uh required him to make six pit stops um, and the fact that, you know, degradation or no, uh, he was still on the back of uh, Science and Hamilton in their scrap. There's there's little reason, there's little nuggets that kind of glimmer and shine and, and give them some degree of hope. And I think once they've had a chance to arrest some of those issues and, you know, bring their new package in for Baku or wherever it's going to be. I think they've said pretty openly that the concept they've started this year with isn't, you know, the direction they want yeah. to go in. They want to to change that. Probably, you know, as we, as we mentioned earlier in the show, um, what Mercedes should be potentially looking at. Um, you know, this, this gives them some trajectory. And I don't think that, I think this will probably be among the worst of their season. Um, uh, and things will definitely get better um, throughout the year it just depends on when those updates will come online it depends Mm. on as you mentioned if the wind tunnel will have any influence on the car or not I think there are reasons to be relatively cheerful and it's not all over and I think you know by the end of the season they'll probably finish maybe 6th or 7th in the championship it won't be amazing but you know it will be a much better return than, than what it looks like at the moment
0: well there we go that's our podcast for today. Thank you, chaps. That was good fun. JBL, when are you next in the paddock with your new role covering Formula One for us?
2: Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is my first Ooh, race, so uh, uh, Alex nice. Kalinokas will be Just... rotating as him and uh, Mister Q did last year. Um, so uh, hopefully, so hopefully it goes okay. Um, it's you, it's you two in Saudi? Have you uh, you you won't have heard yet?
0: But uh, the Alex travel diary, which is Saturday's podcast, uh, he is broken. By Bahrain traffic so can we oh mention- that was
1: yeah I was, I was out there for testing and uh that they are uh, so they're, they're celebrating their independence and it, it brought on some spirited driving so if we <laughs> if we're stuck at lights and are annoyed at, at, at traffic we tend to maybe pick the horn flash the lights they just stand on the accelerator and let their V8s ping off the red line which is like just insane I suppose that you know there's they, they they can afford to because petrol is pretty cheap out there, but it was just, it was just absolute madness. So we're then having to weigh up in the higher car, right? We've got the, we've got the extra insurance to protect the underside, but we're just going to have to take it off road to get around all the madness. So full credit to Alex and also the, the hotel, despite being like, sort of fairly nicely appointed nothing too salubrious don't worry auto sports subscribers that's not where your money's <laughs> going but it was obviously built in the 70s when cars were 1970 size so i do have sympathy for for alex for that one it was it was utter utter bedlam
0: uh kev i think we have to send alex some sort of care pack when he gets home because he is uh disturbed by cars going around roundabouts the wrong way he's like i don't i'm not driving in bahrain again
3: that does sound stressful although to be honest i mean being driven around by q is quite stressful as well so i'm not We're quite balanced. sure which one he'd uh yeah he's he's a bit of a you know pedal to the metal kind of guy as well so i think,
0: um, think we've got uh, a few speeding tickets haven't arrived in the uk post yet from last year i'm yeah, sure they still he arriving put them on i i
1: i'm not going to engage with this conversation because i got <laughs> oh, a go. youtube commentator referring to me as the bad boy of formula one so it's nice to be compared to james hunt but um uh, I, I won't. I won't engage myself with that. Well, bad I hadn't boy Formula
3: that. One. Wow, that's. I yeah. mean, that's quite a claim. There's a lot of candidates for that. I mean, I perhaps actually yeah. do one of my top tens for that. Top ten bad <laughs> uh, boys of F1. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Double how's
1: four. how's a bleep machine, Martin? I can give several examples of why current drivers might qualify for that title more than me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's been good today. I think we've got away with today. A uh, bleep machine, not need,
0: not needed. Uh, unlike on the world feed. When uh, Alonso went in for a, a man hug on Stroll and realized that uh, oh he didn't realize he, that he had his microphone in his hand and, uh, and dropped an F-bomb on the air, uh, praising, praising how good Stroll was. Uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch this year. But we should probably wrap this up. So there you go. That's your podcast for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to chip in, you can email us anytime. Uh, It is podcast at autosport.com, is my email address. No, it's not my one, uh, but I get access to it. And uh, you can also find us on social media as well. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.